If you've ever wanted to achieve something significant, something burns inside of you that you just want to excel at and you are desperate for any insight that's going to allow you to succeed at that, then you have found the place that you've been looking for. This is the home of what I call the 100. Many years ago, I recognized that if I knew at least 100 highly capable, talented leaders and performers, then when we wanted to achieve something, I could reach out to the people who already knew how to do it, and I could use their strategy, which means a high return on any effort that we put in. This group is now called The 100, and they're the people that I access for this show, and the intent is to bring you unique insights that they have to achieve all sorts of incredible things. And along the way, I will coach you on how to execute their knowledge. What's really important for you when you turn up is that you need to have front of mind. What is it that you want to get really good at? Today's show is brought to you by The Micro Library, a unique collection of over 100 short videos with concise solutions to any of the challenges your people are facing in business. Maybe they're hiring, leading, sales are down, culture's a problem, people are a bit flat. Whatever the challenge, there'll be a short three to six minute video to guide your people on how to solve that problem super fast. It is truly your unfair training advantage. Check out the entire range at themicrolibrary.com. Okay, Colby, throw to the show, mate. Long time ago, I met a man. His name's Mark Dobson. Yep, we were out on the ranch with the, uh, they were... Well, hell, I'm rambling again. Just listen to the podcast. You'll get all the details. Hello, listener. Very good to have you on board again. Today's episode is about how you can run a killer offsite for your business, your company, your team, whatever your tribe is. I have been running these things for 20 plus years. I think I really started to get involved when I was about 22 years old. And back then, I was originally being hired to help run the outdoor adventure component of offsites. So that would mean that I, with a bunch of others, would set up ropes through the trees or we'd set up some outdoor activities and we'd run the team development aspect of the offsite. I would watch them and meet all the right people and learn how they ran. And over time, I was running short activities between speakers to keep people awake and engaged to freshen everybody up. That evolved where I was being just hired to run the wake-up sessions between speakers to do almost five minutes of comedy, if you like, a little game to keep people awake, be on call in the evening sometimes to run an activity. But I was really there for the fun and the engagement. As a result, I was able to sit in countless seminars in all different industries and hear all different presenters and learn a huge amount and all this while being paid. It was a unique opportunity, and I was aware at the time that I was learning a lot of knowledge from the speakers. I was also aware that I was learning who the really capable, world-class people were and who were the people who were just, you know, okay and, you know, finding their feet. What I didn't appreciate is just how much I was learning about the entire craft of taking a group of people on a journey to a destination where they were going to execute on a plan they'd come up with. And that didn't always happen off the back of these offsites. And frankly, I go to many conferences all around the world and I present or I participate and still the execution element is the bit that is missing for most. So what I'd like to walk you through are some things that are gonna set you up for the best chance of succeeding. We're not looking for perfection. As a matter of fact, sometimes when people have had a conversation like this one with me and then I turn up to their event, they spend a lot of time apologizing. Oh, I know I meant to do that. Oh, this is not right. 
And I actually don't think like that. There is just no way to assess an event unless you know what it is trying to achieve. An event that doesn't know what it's trying to achieve ends up having a lot of stress and paranoia happen about things that don't matter. Perhaps it's whether or not we've got the right muffins, if people could find their room or not, whether or not someone's got a TV that works in their room, if the internet connection is easy to find, I can't log in properly, oh, we've got this event app, but I can't load that. These things don't really matter. But as we've become a larger organization, we can find that we get into wanting to make sure that our role is done perfectly so that we don't get our butt kicked. And in the process, we lose the outcome we're trying to get. So whether or not you're a huge organization or a small one, the place to start with running an offsite that is killer is to define what the outcome is. This is not a theme. I see these themes all the time about you know rise with passion or into the future. These things are just marketing. They're just fluff. They're just posters. They don't have any real substance. Now, some people would argue that it does because that's what we're trying to instill into the organization. It's still, my question is, what is the outcome? Give me something tangible. What I'm looking for is evidence. At the end of this process, what evidence do you need to see to tell you that this was successful? What's the measure? So if we want to rise with passion, does that mean that you would see more people at the Christmas party, more people putting their hands up, volunteering ideas afterwards? What is the measure so that we know we can guide people towards that? Now, if the measure is yes, we want to see more people attending a certain meeting and volunteering ideas. At the moment, we could say safely that only two people ever volunteer ideas in that particular meeting, and we'd like to get it to seven. Now we can design our schedule around how do we give people the skill or the courage or the insight to volunteer something at that meeting. It's very, very tangible. So if you're going to present a theme, you still have to do the work of discussing what is the outcome. For example, there was a clothing company I was consulting to many years ago. They retailed across Australia and New Zealand and they had their annual conference and they said, you know, Dobbo, you know about conferences, you work on that. So I asked them what the outcome was and they said, well, we always have an annual conference. It's really good just to get people together. And they gave me the schedule and everybody had been given an hour. Every department had been given an hour. So I went and spoke to head of each department. I said, oh, look, I see you've been given an hour for this what are you going to do in it? And they said, oh, I don't really know. I said, well, do you need an hour? Like, would you be saying anything in that hour that couldn't be said in an email or a phone call? Is it, you know, what would you do? And sure enough, people eventually will say, well, I don't really need an hour. I'm just would, you know, do an hour because we've got an hour. And so eventually I went back to the boss and said, you've got a two-day offsite and nobody thinks that they need it. I think I can save you about $100,000 by not running it. Now, he didn't actually want to hear this because he always ran an offsite and he wanted to run an offsite, but there was no clarity about what we were trying to achieve. And as a result, the schedule had just been this mishmash of chopping up the diary to make sure that everybody felt loved. Everybody had their little bit. We've got to include these people. How will we squeeze that in? And it becomes what I call the Homer car conference. Now, if you haven't seen the episode, there's an episode where they realize that Homer Simpson is the ultimate customer. He's the ultimate bloke. So they say, Homer, you build us a car. Tell us what you want. He goes, well, I want a cup holder here and I want a, an esky here and I want a, you know, an aerial here and a comfortable chair like this. And they build a car that's perfect for Homer, but nobody wants to buy it because it's just so ugly. In the process of not having a clear outcome and not being able to state it, a company ends up just pleasing everybody and they come up with a Homer conference. 
It's just useless. There's nothing you can do with it. It's just fill in the time and it's all nice to have, but it's expensive and it's got no potency. The first thing that you need to do is to find what is the actual outcome and it should be measurable, tangible. That being said, there are times when it's about the feeling, it's about a bond, an affinity with each other, some sort of synergy. That still can be measured. It can still be measured by whether or not these two departments are interacting more, are there people turning up to each other's meetings, uh, have we reduced the number of emails, are we got a higher productivity, there'll be something as a byproduct of that good feeling. So when we put an outcome on it, or an agenda, a clear agenda, this is the target we're trying to hit, that does not dissolve the human, right? In actual fact, what I've found with conferences is that the, the opportunity you've got is to create a really special bond between people. And that's really, really valuable. That's what people need the most is that they feel like they belong. They've got some certainty that they, they feel synergy. They grew personally. They grew as an organization. Those feelings are amazing. There's a natural high that comes off the back of these things. That is more easily achieved if we all know what we're trying to achieve. So if I've got a log and I say, look, we've got to carry that log from here to there and everybody does it and it's hard, it's great. If I don't have that goal and we all just sit around talking about logs, talking about carrying things, everybody goes home and they haven't achieved everything. So there's no natural bond. So you want to get very clear on what is it that you're actually running this for? What are you trying to achieve? And what would be evidence that we succeeded? And that evidence isn't often at the conference. It can be, there might be a statement or some clarity or some measures you work out, but very often it's actually measured into the future. So once you've chosen an outcome and you've defined what success looks like as some sort of evidence that's probably achieved a month or two later, then you would start to plan out your program. Now, avoid these two things. When you get there, you don't have to ask your whole team what do they want out of it. You're the leader. Lead them to where they need to be. All right. You don't need to have everybody brainstorm out, oh, we'd like to be fun, it'd be good to have some chat, it'd be good to have some free time, it'd be good to go home refreshed, it'd be great to get some certainty around this, it'd be great to have less politics in the organization when everybody's talking about something where we all know what the elephant in the room is, but nobody's prepared to say it. You don't need to have that chat. You're the leader. Just guide them somewhere. So scrap that opening session. Replace that session with a session on purpose. Drag out your company purpose or your company vision and reflect to the team a time when you all got it right. Maybe that means you've got a thank you letter from a customer or an email that came in praising the services that you gave. Perhaps you've got a moment where a few of you dealt with a scenario with a project or a client and it worked out perfect. Talk about the most ideal experiences that your company has ever delivered and set the tone by saying, these are our targets. This is what we're here to achieve. As we're having this offsite, we're trying to create more of these and less of the other things. So you open with a session like that. That will point everybody towards the outcome and it really sets the tone. Secondly, as you're designing the schedule, just because there's a ropes course there or a winery around the corner, or they've got some venue offering of a drum circle that evening, you don't have to do it. You can do it, but you don't have to do it just because it's there. I've run hundreds of programs where the participants were looking out at a ropes course and asking us, why aren't we doing the ropes course? And my answer is, you could do a ropes course any day of the week, anywhere around the world. What we're trying to do right now is hit this outcome and doing that ropes course isn't necessarily helpful. We could do the ropes course or that other activity as a recreational activity later on. Just because it's there, you don't have to schedule it. 
Likewise, you don't have to give every department an hour. Yes, there might be some people that are upset because they didn't get the floor, but if you're clear on what the outcome is, people can generally work out, oh yeah, if we're trying to achieve that, mm, I haven't got much to say on it, although I should just comment to so-and-so when they're making their presentation just to throw this little thing in. That outcome is gonna liberate you. So we would open with a purpose session and examples of it, and then we would populate the program with things that we think are going to serve our outcome, not just because there's opportunity there and that's the way we've always done it. Now, as you start your schedule, you need to have a preoccupation with execution. I ran programs for years and years and years, and when I went and followed up participants afterwards, I was learning that they weren't actually doing what we talked about on the program. And I was so frustrated because I was so passionate about doing this stuff. I was like, what is the missing piece? And then I changed the way I handled all my presentations. And on the very first day of a multi-day conference, I, the first session, I would start to talk about, look, when we get back to the office, this is what we're going to do. When we get to the office, when we get back to the office, this is what we're going to do. When we get back home, this is how we're going to handle it. So it wasn't a three-day conference that felt separate to life it straight away felt like it was still part of life. Every single conversation was tied back to what behavior would need to change in the office. It was always front of mind. So it wasn't like we did it and there's a, well, that was really amazing. Now, how should we apply these three days of knowledge? Because you, you can't in like 45 minutes closing out the conference, then work out how to apply all the subtlety that's happened over three days. So you wanna have a preoccupation of execution. And that will change the way that you present each session and you dialogue it and you can even ask your team to structure their sessions. Have everybody's preoccupation to be on all these things actually happening when we get back. A tool that you'll find very effective for moving things forward and having traction when you get home is having a company diary. This seems so obvious, but it's often not done. Let's just say we've got a team, uh, a legal team, and we've also got a marketing department, an IT department, uh, operations, sale department, finance, etc. right? And typically, all of these people, although they're saying they're a team, they've all got their own diary. So let's say I'm about to launch a product. And I know before I launch a product, I actually need legal to do a whole lot of whatever on it, right? They've got to create either a disclaimer or they've got a product description or they've got to do some you know, paperwork on something. And I might know that I'm going to launch on October 1st. And so I'm hustling to get the product ready. But what I possibly haven't done is given legal the heads up to say, hey, I know that you need to create that paperwork. What do you need from me? And how far in advance so that we're certain we can launch on October 1st? Because often, as the person driving it, I can get ready, think, oh, okay, I've got that, yep, yeah, that's nearly done, and I'll just give it to legal. Meanwhile, legal got their own diary. They might be going through a legal issue at that time. They might have a lot of people on leave at that time, and you haven't flagged it with them, so the whole agenda falls down. Likewise, we say to the marketing department, oh, we're about to release this product. What do you need? And they typically will give you a you know an answer about, oh, I need, you know, the product needs to be developed or the artwork needs to be done or we need to put it online. But the other question is, well, how long does that take? When do you need that product description? When do you need the art? When do you need the specifications? When do you need us to test this with the tech team? And as you do that, you actually work backwards so that the, the person driving the product can then look and go, oh, wow. So therefore, I thought my date was October 1st, but really, I need my whole house in order, everything done at my end by June 22. It's not until there's a company diary 
and everybody can see what everybody's working on and what all the milestones are that you begin to have synergy. It will create some tension because inevitably there'll be people saying, well, that doesn't work because I've got this and this and this. And people's first instinct is often panic or outrage or overwhelm. And they don't realize now we're having this conversation so that we don't have that calamity or we reduce the likelihood of it. So a calendar on the wall with company milestones that's being populated through the period of the conference is going to help you a lot. When it comes to having people participate, there's been many conferences I've been invited to where senior leadership had invited the extended team and they had a problem that they were trying to navigate and rather than solve it themselves, they were trying to bring people into the tent in inverted commas. They wanted them to be part of the solution so that rather than these people have this directive given to them from management and then feel like they've been kept in the dark and now they've just got to do this thing and there's all these problems, they wanted to instead have the team involved in discussion with management as the, uh, as the conclusions were made so that everybody was on board. When I've come in, my job is often to help facilitate that because what inevitably happens is that as soon as you introduce a more junior person to a senior leadership decision that isn't made yet, they panic because they expect certainty from leadership. And when they discover that there is not certainty on something, they start to think the sky is falling and it's outrageous, you're gonna dump this on us and everybody panics. And so there's been many conferences where I've just sat in and let the conversation roll. And as soon as the panic kicked in, I just stood up and just stopped the room and had that authority to do it. And somehow I just find a way to you know, stop, look at the boss and go, hey, just <laughs> thumbs up, just give me a second. And I step in and I go, guys, I know this is a challenging moment, but this is the moment we're here to discuss. There isn't a solution for this moment. We are discussing the solution. This is an important dynamic for a leader to be aware of. If you're going to bring your people into problem solving, there's a very good chance that it's not natural for them. They're used to receiving information from you. So you will need to facilitate that. Anytime it gets tense, what typically is at its core is one party who is feeling uncertain and threatened is looking at someone else to say, hey, that should be sorted out and that's your department. And we often just respond with, oh my God, that is my department and we defend our position rather than continuing the conversation Say, look, I realize that's not decided yet. I could make that decision, but it seems to me that we could collectively come up with a better solution. Now, some people are just not cut out for this and that's why they have to bring me along. And I don't always think you do need to bring everybody into the tent. There's other ways to do it. But if you're going to do it, you need to be also flagging right at the start of your conference. We are going to have discussions about things that are not solved yet. And the intent is that by the end of the conference, they are solved. So we are in a period of uncertainty and the uncertainty is the process. Often people find that as soon as something's messy or unclear or it might be pushed back onto them, they feel like their department's gonna receive more work or there's gonna be some sort of problem later, they panic not realizing this is the process. And I often have to keep referring to the process. Say, hang on, it's just messy right now. It's like cleaning your house or washing a car. It's a messy process and by the end, it's okay. So the intent is that by the end of the conference, we'll have solved that and as a leader, you need to have that front of mind and keep that message, keep the message of, we want to execute on what happens here, keep that front of mind and keep front of mind that every time it gets a bit tricky, we're just working through and we just wanna have it solved by the end of the conference. It doesn't have to be solved this second. 
When it comes to team building, there is no need to write in your schedule team building. That's like writing in fun. It just puts so much pressure on that and it's so contrived. In my experience, teams are built off the court, not on it. So if you take a basketball team, they're all playing and you talk team or working as a team, but it's not until you're having drinks afterwards or you all go out for dinner and you find out who's there. And if everybody is there, then your team has some synergy because we all care about each other. We all enjoy each other's company. We all value this extra time that I don't have to be involved in. If only half the team is there, that's the best reflection of your team. So if you want to do team building activities, you don't need to call it team building. You don't need to tell people we're doing this to be a team. You can call a ropes course session something completely different. Call it adventure and adrenaline. Just don't mention team. It's like I did a conference years ago and I got at the front and this boss just barked at the whole audience. Just, now Mark is very, very funny and I expect you to laugh at the right times and listen at the other times. And then hands it over to me and by saying to me and to your whole audience, Mark is very, very funny. That puts a lot of pressure on me. And the room felt like more like a morgue than an entertainment venue. And, you know, I dug my way out of it, but it's just unnecessary pressure. It's like going on a date and every time you date them, you're wondering, am I going to marry them? Am I going to marry them? Am I going to marry them? It's too much pressure. So team building doesn't need to be stated. Team building is a byproduct of other activities. So list the activity you're doing and you don't need to mention team building. Now, if you do want to build a team, what you would do is you would run activities outside of nine to five, either in the morning, into the evening, and that is where the team is made. And the more people that you can have engage in that activity is actually an indication of how big or connected your team is and how many of the people that are there are just showing everybody who they are. So if we play a silly game where we've got to get a straw and blow a ping pong ball or something, and every single person eventually has a turn and everybody's laughing, that means that you've got a cracking team dynamic. You might have some issues inside the company, but everybody's there, everybody's playing out, everybody's prepared to look silly and turn up. Now, maybe only four or five people want to play that game, but other people are laughing, openly laughing. They might say, nah, it's not for me, but they're engaged, they're watching it, and they're invested and curious. That's a great indication that you've got a team. If you find half the people leave, some people are standing in the corner having their own little chat. If you do an activity and nobody really wants to do it, it's like, you know, you've got to force them to do it. You know, that's really a reflection of where your team's at. So it's really what you do after hours is going to indicate what your team's like. And what you're looking for is you're looking for activities that allow people's personalities to come out. So trivia doesn't really allow people's personalities to come out unless it's run in a really silly way. There are ways to do that, but your classic trivia doesn't. Something like karaoke may do it. Often when people get absolutely hammered, you start to see their personality and that's why people think it's really bonding, but half the other group just leave because they don't want to be around it. Then people start to do things they regret. So it's not really about alcohol. It's about, do we have a fun activity that allows people's personalities to show up? Now, that's a conversation for another day. Like I know hundreds of those activities and there's people that run those, but from a team building point of view, what you're looking to do is run an activity outside of nine to five and you're trying to do something that allows people's personalities to show up and the more people that are engaged in it, the more people are enjoying it and watching it and participating is an indication that your team is growing and the dynamic is getting better. If you've got a larger group and you want to collect ideas from everybody, one of the ways that I've found is super effective is to take two or three topics that you think need to be discussed. So let's say 
supply chain, internal comms, branding. And rather than have a big group discussion, you would get butcher's paper and stick it on the walls and you would allow anybody who's really passionate about the branding, go and make comments on the branding. Anybody's really passionate about logistics, do that. Everybody's passionate about comms, do that. And give them a limited time frame, 15 minutes. Brainstorm, write it all up, make sure it's legible. And then you would yell out, everybody rotate, and they've just got to go to the next one. And they read through what the other people have written. And then they can make any comments that they need to, something else that hadn't really been thought about or you know something they think is valuable. But they've just read it and they've processed. They will have discussed it instinctively. They'll automatically discuss it. They'll work out what else to put on there. And then they rotate around to the next one. By the end of the process, everybody is already across the content. They've thought about it all and they've all had a say. If you want to then debrief those worksheets or you want them to turn them into some sort of activity, you would have one or two people from the group that's most passionate about a topic just circle which they think are the most effective. What is the minimum effective dose, right? The least we amount to do for the highest impact. What is the thing that's most powerful? That's what we want to acknowledge. So if they did present back to the group, they could say, look, we've read all these. These are all really important. We'd love to do them all. What we think we can tangibly do or with the resource we've got, what we think is the most crucial, no matter whether resources or not, we need to find a way, are these two. It's kind of like dating. Yeah, you want everything, right? It's kind of like life. You want everything. But at the end of the day, you've got to pick a couple of things that you want more than anything else and you wear some of those other things. So that is the fastest way to get everybody on the same page without having this slow, tedious, like, you know, like a show and tell experiences where people read what they wrote on the damn thing. It's like, you know, it's so boring. That's the fastest way. Now, if you're online or you're a bit more sophisticated and you're a big, you know, big corporate and you move beyond that, you want to do something techie, then I suggest a platform called Mural, but get a facilitator that knows how to run it. You can use the platform for free. If you go to my website and you scroll to the bottom of the homepage, so dobbo.com.au, go all the way to the bottom of the homepage, there is a video of Matt and I doing this. Mural basically is a online flip chart, if you like. Now you can put some graphics on it as well, but every single person can log into their computer, log onto the same page, and they can create post-it notes and drop them. They can asterisk things, they can make comments, and we've done this for up to 180 people, senior leaders for multi-day conferences. And it is amazing how much you can get achieved, actually more than having everybody in the same room, because you can throw out an issue and say, right, everybody, we need your two cents worth on this. And you can also see who's participating and who's not, and you don't have to, but it's okay. But you can have people break up and work on different boards. It's unbelievably effective. Now, Many people have reached out to me during this COVID period saying, oh, this is an amazing platform. You should check it out for conferences. Yeah, I've seen them. Most people just use them so poorly that it's just got a novelty factor. It's not really increasing productivity. I've found that if you were using someone like Matt at Sketch Group who knows how to use this and there'll be other people who also use it, it's amazing. You need someone who actually understands how to facilitate the platform, but I would check out Mural. Been in many conferences where either at the end of the day or in the morning they have a session on feedback, either a feedback form or a conversation about you know other things that we could do better tomorrow. What did people need more of? What do people need less of? I just don't run that session. I've been doing this so long, I back in my own judgment. It's not that I'm not listening, but I don't need a room discussion to find that information out, and I don't need a sheet of paper. If you do, that typically means that leadership is just too far removed from the people. 
and you're introducing a bureaucracy for something that should just be a conversation between humans. You should be able to pick up on this sort of stuff if you're in touch with your people. I also find it has next to no value towards my outcome and has no value for the chemistry between people. When we're asking for feedback, people rarely say something positive. They're usually trying to find something from a critiquing point of view, something that could be better. And it all sounds well-intended, but try telling your partner some things that they could do better, right? Try telling your, your wife or your husband, or your boyfriend or your girlfriend, something that mm, I've been thinking, and here's some feedback on how I think you could do a better job tomorrow. It doesn't go down too well. It doesn't add any joy or chemistry. Instead, what I tend to do is I try to get that information through the day by talking to people, getting you know just a pulse of things. How are you going? What's happening? What did you think of that? Is it going all right? How's your concentration? Is that useful? What else can we do? I'm having conversations all day. As a leader, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm also trying to be the kind of leader where people don't feel like they've got to blow smoke up my ass, but they also realize that I'm not going to put up with any dumb comments. And so that's a conversation for another day. But generally, I'm trying to be somebody that people feel like they could tell me. If everybody knows the outcome, they'll also change what they uh, share with you. The session that I will run to close the day or start the morning is I'll ask people if they had any highlights from the day, any aha moments, aha moment being like where you have that moment of clarity, like, oh yeah, or any things that surprise them in a really healthy way. I'm wanting to hear the positive. Statistically in a school out of 11 comments at school, 10 are negative. And that is old data. In a world of social media where outrage is the currency to get attention, people want to share the negative. We have to lead the positive. I only want to know what your breakthroughs were, how we got closer to the outcome, what you're pumped about. So I ask that question. I typically find that there's crickets when I first do this, especially when I'm going to a company and I haven't been involved with setting up the culture. There's often not a culture of sharing. There may not be a culture of saying something positive. There may be a culture of being guarded because I don't want anybody to know anything about me. I don't know what the boss is gonna say. So it can be a bit tricky. So if you wanna navigate through that, during the day, you flag with them. Hey, at the end of the day, we, the way we close the day is we look at any highlights or aha moments or things we think are super helpful to the company, insights, things that you learned, anything positive, we close it off at the end of the day. So maybe in the last half hour, you notice something. And if you did, just take a mental note and share it later on. And I'll keep mentioning that all through the day. Likewise, I might get to the session. If I haven't flagged it during the day, I might say, listen, I want you to take a couple of minutes to look through your notes and pick one or two things that you think, you know, are really valuable aspects of the day. You, maybe you learned something, you saw somebody do something really well, pick out something that's awesome. Just take a couple of moments, circle it, and just touch base with the person next to you and just share that. So they have this little one-on-one -on -one chat. And now I know that everybody has come up with something, you know, or at least, you know, if it's not a terminal culture that at least 70% of the people have. Now I'll have a group discussion. Okay, let's hear a few people and I'll ask the room to share. Now I'm going to be able to guide my people towards the emotion and the feeling and the chemistry that I'm looking for. That feedback about, oh, there wasn't enough, you know, muffins or the room was a bit cold and all that kind of stuff. Like, seriously, we're adults. That stuff can get worked out between, you know, in the corridor, in the break. You know, that's, it's just ridiculous that topics like that would take up floor time of a conference that's taken hundreds of thousand dollars to put together. Every single person there was getting paid. We're also paying for the room hire. We're paying for the accommodation. We're paying for the speakers and the muffins and the drinks and the flights. We're paying for it. And when we get back, all our customers need service because we haven't been around for a couple of days. And we're going to allocate time 
to a group discussion about the temperature of the room. As a leader, don't take the group there. It's just not necessary. Take them to the most helpful thing that's going to grow the organization. And so my tip is to ask people, what was the highlight? What did you learn? What was insightful? What personal breakthrough did you have? What personal aha moment where you something worked for you and it feels better? I would push that for the end of the day or the beginning of the day over any other activities. Okay, the last two things. I allocate a large chunk of the end of the conference to execution. I want people to work out what has to change in their diary. I'm also looking for the minimum effective dose that will get me an outcome. So if I'm going to get fit, I might like the idea of going to the gym five days a week or going for a run, but the minimum I could do is go for a walk each night. Or the minimum I could do is throw the chocolate out of the house or stop ordering pizza. There's something that is most effective with the least amount of effort, but we will see a change off the back of that. I'm not looking for idealism because idealism is easy to write down. Everybody can say, oh, we're going to have a new branding and we're going to have this new team dynamic and we're going to have you know coffees for team members every birthday and all this. And it's just too hard to implement. So I'm allocating the last almost 25% of the conference to what will change in your diary. Or if there's a complicated thing that we need to execute, but we've recognized it's really important, let's workshop that, which means that I might step into the last part of the conference not knowing what we will talk about. I'm going to look for something through the conference that I think, ah, oh, this is important. Let's now workshop this all the way through to execution so we know what everybody's job is. When done well, this should end up with a timeline of accountability. We should recognize some behaviors that need to happen in people's diary. They will need to be paired with the thing that is going to be removed from their diary because their diary is already full and they already have habits. So when somebody says, I'm going to do X on Mondays, or my team is now going to drive this new initiative, I also want them to pair that with what will they not do? What are you going to stop doing? What are you going to move? How are you going to find the time to do this? It's okay to say, well, I'm just going to be out of balance for six weeks and then go back to my other schedule. That's fine. I don't care what the strategy is, but I just don't want them to be naive because the reality is as soon as you leave that conference, you check your emails, you know, you've been hammered with the backlog of work that needs to be done. So I'm wanting them to tell me what the initiative is or what the activity is, where is it in their diary? What's the timeline on the company calendar? What are they removing from their diary or where are they finding the time to do this or the resources? And I'm also trying to interrogate that, you know, as a leader, I'm trying to verify, like, if you just pick that out of nowhere it's like the government goes oh we'll just you know send a billion dollars here well how are you gonna do that oh, i'm just gonna print some money like oh maybe well maybe there's another option right some of these people they come up with idealism but they're not very self-aware and you can see it's going to fall over so i as a leader or facilitator i have to help with that the other thing that i want them to do is when they put on the company wall and the company diary i want them to also jot down what is failure is failure missing the deadline is failure having it 75 percent complete not 25 percent complete is failure not seeing some people in? Is failure a certain lack of sales or profitability? What is failure? And that will be a game changer as we move forward. Because now their story about why we missed doesn't have the same value. 
because they can have a story, but they can look at the board and realize it's failure. It's not like, oh, we didn't quite get it. We tried so hard, didn't we do great? Yep, you can do that and you can miss by 5%. But if you're missing by 25%, it's failure. Everybody needs to state a failure point. Now, some people find that very hard, but I'm in the performance game and that's crucial for performance. Your hunger increases with desperation. Not everybody's cut out for it. Sometimes that needs to be facilitated, but that's what I would do. Lastly, you always want a reflection point. You want to have something in your diary where you're going to get together as a collective and assess if you're on track. Most companies do this annually and it's a horrendous strategy. When somebody sets a news resolution and by January it's gone to heck, they need an intervention or reflection point at that point. And that's why coaching works well. When I'm coaching someone and we're checking in every week or sometimes more often, it means that we're only one or two days off course by the time we have some sort of intervention or recorrect it. If we set a news resolution and we do not revisit our resolutions at all until the following December 31st, then we've had a whole year of wasted direction. Now we feel bad about ourselves, we didn't do it and we're going to do it again, but we don't believe anymore. If you're running an offsite, I suggest that you need a follow-up to this two to three months later, everybody online in the same room or something similar for three hours and it's got to be compulsory. Everybody has to be there and we critique everything. And really, I think you need to spend a bit more time than two or three hours together because you then need to set the agenda for the next two months or three months. You need to correct things. This is not an experience of let's just go around the room and everybody has a presentation of where they're at. This is a case of we're presuming when you turn up to this meeting that you've done it. So you either tell us that you didn't and we have to work out why the hell that happened and we have to get you back on schedule. Or you're sharing your strategic plan for the next few months and you're putting it on the company diary and you're bouncing it off everybody else in the room to say, does this work? Is there something else I need to take into consideration? Are we still aligned? And then you commit once again to the next targets and define failure for the next couple of months or quarter, whatever it is, and you set another time to reflect. You can only manage what you measure. And if you've got strategic activities that you want to drive forward, The only way they're going to move forward is if there's some accountability. Because when people go back to their desk, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. If a customer's yelling at them, a team member's yelling at them, a Twitter feed is yelling at them, they will engage in that. They need to feel some pressure that they're being watched, that they're held accountable, that they're part of a team and they're going to let people down. There needs to be some sort of squeak to this wheel so that it moves forward. And my guidance is that when you start your offsite from day one and you start planning it, immediately put in the milestone dates through the year where you're going to revisit this. And typically for a lot of my clients, they would just have me come in at that time as well because when I turn up, one, I'm experienced with driving these things forward and I know how to facilitate it and I can troubleshoot along the way, but it also means it's serious because when they see me, they associate me to these projects, not the day-to-day, and it just changes the dynamic. And it also means that you can't sort of dodge out of it. Sometimes as a leader, you're in charge of the company saying, oh, look, look, it seems we're on track. I don't think we're going to run that thing. But when you've already locked somebody in, an external facilitator in a venue, and you've paid money and it's in the company diary, it keeps moving forward. You've got to put yourself as a leader in a position where this will happen, even if you're having a bad day. It's still move forward. It shouldn't be dependent on your drive. So there's how to run a killer 
offsite in a nutshell. Now there's much, much more to it. There's just so much more. There's so many human elements. There's so many issues about content, hiring speakers, briefing speakers, making sure they've got the right content. What do you do if this goes to heck? There's just so much to it. However, in a nutshell, I think this is really gonna put you in good stead. I would say that if you're not enjoying the process, neither is your team. All right, so you've got to fall in love with this event. You've got to see all the possibility in it. You've got to put activities in it that you think you'll enjoy. You've got to have sessions and speakers that you think you'll enjoy that I think are valuable. There'll be a middle part in the middle of your conference where it just goes to heck. It happens every single time. It's uh, the five stages of a group's life. There's always a middle stage where it just goes to heck. Just accept that. But the rest of it should be fundamentally something that you enjoy. If it's the sort of thing where you want myself involved or my team, then just reach out. We don't do it for everybody. It's kind of got to be the right kind of business. You've got to have a little bit of momentum up. If you're super green, it won't be super helpful. But if you've got uh, some serious traction, you get some momentum up and you've got a team that's hungry and want to learn, then uh, we're in, we can be in. We develop elite talent. So we're looking for people that are hungry. And if it's a bloody mess and a disaster and it's a bureaucracy, we're probably not your people. If you're humming, yeah, we're keen to be on board. All right, it's been an absolute pleasure. Good luck with this and chat to your next show. All right, Colby, can you take us out, please, mate? Ladies and gentlemen, that's a wrap for today. If you want to be part of the community or access more strategies for your business, go to double.com.au.